This week's episode of Aussie Tech Ed is brought to you by Start New Company. Register your company immediately today with ASIC. ABN, TFN, GST registration is also available directly from the portal. Also set up your family trust and self-managed superannuation fund and more. All at startnewcompany.com.au. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash startnewco and keep an eye out for our regular specials. Start your new company now within 10 minutes of lodgement. All legal company documentation provided after registration. startnewcompany.com.au. Also brought to you by athwebhosting.com.au. All our servers are operating on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, and more. Easy install WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, and 300 other one-click installations. Generous space and bandwidth, auto backups, WordPress help and maintenance plans are also available on contact. If your webpage is important for your business or your life, contact us today. Aussie support, secure services, athwebhosting.com.au. And now for the show. Welcome to episode 683 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on 25th of June, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Will Tomkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. How goes it? Good. How's it going over there? Bloody cold. Cold? Really cold. We got down to like one or two degrees last night where it feels like of like minus five. Jeez. <laughs> and Do you that... live in the hot land up there? Yeah, yeah. In, in summer, we get, you know, 40-odd. In winter, we get minus-odd. You know, it's fine. I, I heard <laughs> on the news today, they were saying that uh, the UK hit 32 degrees today. How hot is that? They were sweating. Everyone went to the beach. I know. It was so funny. I was watching a um, a guy in Canada, one of the guys I follow, and they were saying, oh, man, it was so hot today. It got to, like, you know got to 31 or 32 degrees today and we didn't know what to do like we had to stop work and had to stop doing this and we're, uh. it's like seriously <laughs> bunch of pansies but that was the thing was it, last, was it last year italy or i think it was italy had like four days in a row at like 33 degrees and like 600 people died of heat stroke it's like yeah really crazy <laughs> Like I'm not it's laughing that they died of heat stroke. For us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm not laughing that they died of heat stroke. Don't get me wrong, but it's like we have yeah. like a month at you know forty plus. Like what? Huh? <laughs> I don't understand. If you don't like the hot sun, stay out of the hot sun. It's not not really that difficult. I I didn't think. I bought these things called air conditioners. But even if not, I mean, heat exhaustion doesn't just like suddenly attack you and kill you. It's a thing that builds up over many hours. It takes a lot of hours to to, to have that happen. Like, there's Keep multiple so, there's multiple signs along the way that that could potentially be a problem. It's not just a one hit one. <laughs> so if <laughs> if you're hot, you know, go and jump in a cold bath. Even you know, like there's a million things you can do to cool down. You know, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, no. So we've got the opposite problem now. It's, it's but it's cold, like it's it's enough to 
freeze to, fast monkeys. To freeze, you know, the windscreen and stuff now, so... Because that's the problem. We're getting a dew we, at like 3 o'clock in the morning, getting a heavy dew. And then at like 5 o'clock in the morning, it drops into the minuses. So now you've got ice everywhere. <laughs> so it's like, we, you know, we're not even getting the snow. So it's not even worth the effort. No, what's the point? Oh, dear. But yeah, no, other than that, it's been all right. I've been fighting with 3D printers all week. Oh, what are you doing now? Uh, well, nothing, because that's what I'm fighting with them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, with that new special spool you got? Well, I just figured out all the, the, you know, to go from 1.75 millimeter PLA, which is what I've normally been printing. I've got gone to three mil ABS, so it's been a whole different animal right from the get go. I mean, I've been getting it to print. I've been getting it to actually, like, this is a um, a see through pot, so like, there's plastic in there, so you can plant seedlings in it. You can watch them grow through the front. So I've got stuff to print, but it's been one hell of a battle, and now my printer's decided it doesn't want to print for no apparent reason, and my <laughs> Raspberry Pi running um, Octoprint has decided that Octoprint wants to crash every 12 seconds, so mm. I, 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 I'm, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so you decide to do a show? Yeah, pretty much. You should go fishing in Roblox, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> We've done, done a fair bit of that too, I think I outlevel you just about now. What? Yeah. I have to keep remembering to log on every day so I get my yeah, bonus points. Yeah, forgetting about that too. And I've been doing some uh, 3D graphics design in uh, Roblox Studio. Yep. Reminiscent of some of the places that we visit in uh, Fishing Simulator, which is a lot of fun. Roblox, just like Minecraft, but not quite as interesting. I think that's, a, I think that's the, what they use. My daughter just asked me to run up a Minecraft server again for her with the latest one sixteen one. There's a heck date. going on now with the new Nether pat and the other lands and all sorts of stuff happening. It's quite intense. Like now. a whole bunch of little biomes inside yeah. Nether, isn't it? It's actually pretty cool. I haven't played it yet, but I've watched a, I've watched a few videos on it. Yeah, it, there's a lot happening. Uh, a lot of redstone changes. A lot of there's all sorts of animals and stuff now, and there's uh, it's actually pretty. Comp- it's heading towards being its own mod pack, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. Like when I had my little server running, I could only run one point eight, I think, because that was the last of like the standard Minecraft. And then after that, it's gradually got bigger and heavier, and you know, the laptop can't even run anything. The new stuff, it just crashes; it won't even load. Yeah, it plays the old stuff well, fine, we... but well, this one I just ran up the one instance and. Three gig of RAM wasn't enough on the server to run it because they're trying to fly through to go to a new place and the server can't generate chunks fast enough to keep up. So I think they I say, bumped it up to six gig out of yeah. eight. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think they think six gig now is the minimum required for a server, yeah. Um, and they reckon it's you know, they you nearly need an SSD drive now to keep up with the, the chunk loading and stuff. Probably so. should be my next update for the server. They're not that expensive now. No, anymore, I've got half a dozen of them floating around here. They're just cheap $40 ones, but they're still faster than a spinning disk. So, yeah. <laughs> even the cheapest SSD is faster than the fastest spinning disk. So, it, it, even if you cheap out, it's still an upgrade. Yep. yep. Yeah, so. And it's worthwhile too because now you can turn on the computer and then log in straight away without making a cup of coffee in the meantime. Yeah. Well, I'm running the. Is it the. I can't remember. I can never remember the terminology for it, but it runs off like the PCIe slots instead of the SSD slots. Yep. Um, 
I could look over there. It's, it's not the M2 or something. M, M2, M8, something, something. Like that. Anyway, I've got um, a pair of those rated together. And it's, it's, I think we did the calculations on it, something like 500 times faster than a standard spinning disc. You remember back in the old days, kids? It's literally from the time I press the power button to the time I, like, to to the time Windows is usable is eight seconds. Yep. Yep. (laughs) It loads faster than I can actually get back down and sit on my chair and get in front of my computer. (laughs) Sweet, right. So yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Maybe I should. What I should do is upgrade my desktop computer's storage drive to a bigger SSD, and then stick this smaller one in the server. Well, my NAS is still spinning disks. Um, yep. Same here. But I mean, they're rated two, two ter- two two terabyte. Yeah, I got two threes. I think. Well, like my Western Digital's, I swap out. Um, green label. Um, I got my Western <laughs> Digitals. I swap out in this computer. Like every three months, I just clone and swap, so yep. that I've always got a relatively update on this system. And then I've got two threes mirrored in my NAS. Um, yep. But yeah, I've just been picking up like when they come on sale, like just these cheap SSDs. All right. You know, this is a 180. Where gig do you on, buy them from? Oh, just when they pop up on sale at wherever. Messi you know. or you might. Yeah, pretty much. Whoever's got a sale on them. I've got a couple of me. There's a Kingston one. There's a Kingston 240 there. I think I paid like $45 for that. Stop inspiring you know. me to go spend my money. <laughs> and they're great because they're so small. You don't even need to worry about mounting. You just chuck them in there and they're, they're good to go. Like Yeah, the cable will hold it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't even have to worry about it, you know. Um, and they're good for replacing external. Like this is a USB 3. Oh, you can't really see it with the lighting. But this is a USB 3 caddy. Yep. But it had a standard, uh, that one there actually, had a Hitachi um, spinning disc inside it. All right. But USB 3 is faster than a spinning disc. So I just upgraded <laughs> that. I took out the 5400 RPM, 320 gig spinning disc. Um, put a, I think it was a 200 gig, you know, Ching Quang Kong or something. Yep. Um, and it made the thing like four times faster so as an external drive it's actually usable now <laughs> and it uses less power on the usb port too but is it better than a zip or jazz um better as in more reliable cheaper more efficient and not as hilarious yeah <laughs> but for comedic value nothing beats a jazz drive no <laughs> and you don't um, get the click of death anymore that's sad very well you do but it usually involves smoke as well <laughs> uh, what's my hard drive? My hard drive is a uh, solid state drive, a data XPG S40G RGB M.2 NVMe. That's the thing, the NVMe, the solid state drive, two by five, twelve gigs. At uh, see even a five twelve gig drive now, hundred bucks. Nice five twelve gig SSD. Like, <laughs> why would you get anything else? Why not? You know, um, it's just this is the. I actually found my invoice for this computer, which is, I need that for tax, so I'm glad I found that. (laughs) (laughs) It's scary when your CPU is the most expensive part of your system. They are. (laughs) Mind you, only by a few dollars compared to my my graphics card. I was going to say that in the graphics card (laughs) together. I got a, yeah, I got the Ryzen 9 3900X, which is 800 bucks. This is is six months ago. And then I got my Radon RX 5700 8 gig. For 600 bucks, so, uh, yeah. But, 
you, know, you spend a bit of money initially, get the system, and then you don't have to touch it again. That was the main reason. You know, I went for like the Asus. You can't really see that. But I went for like the Asus Prime. I don't want to tip it up. It's got stuff inside it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Asus Prime stuff's all solid state capacitors and stuff, so you don't have. Asus is always good. Did you get rug? You don't have the problem with the. No, that's not the Republic of Gamers, but that was only because um, the the graphics card I wanted to run wouldn't fit on the Republic uh, Gamers motherboard. Um, but that's still got the solitaire capacitors and things, which are good because you don't have, uh, over time, your capacitors don't start leaking and start causing problems. So, yeah. you know, it's a mil- what they call militarized. It's a fancy name for slightly better quality. Like that phone you wanted. <laughs> the cat phone. Yeah, <laughs> I still want that. That thing's awesome. <laughs> that if it wasn't like three grand, I would buy that as my next phone. But I refuse yeah. to pay that sort of money for it. But it's really cool. But I ain't buying that. <laughs> I got so. one of those um, cables with the. Oh yeah. So you can use your existing cables. Magnet? No. Oh, it's a different. Um. Okay, so the first thing, I got a bunch of cables and they had these lovely pretty lights all the way along the cable that kept you awake all night. Or if you got it in the car, then the car turns into a disco while you're driving. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to order something else. So I ordered in some other ones and they came and they do um, charging only, no data. So when I plugged it into my car, into the Android Auto, it said, well, I can charge this, but you can't run your Android Auto and stuff through this. And I'm like, what? So then I ordered another cable just for the car that does the Android Auto, it does data. But because it needs extra pins on the end of it, it's not compatible with all the other cables that I already had. So they're all packed away now. <laughs> I've just got the new cables just for data and... Um, yeah, I've got two, one in the car and one in the bedroom, and it does data and charging on this little plug. That's why I went for the... Um, yeah, they're good. That's why I went for the flat pin, like that I, that I was saying. I went for the little little flat pin one there yep. because it's a, it's a proper four-pin connector, so it supports data as well as power. Yeah. So that's why I went that way instead yeah, of going... That's the, what this new one ones. does. It's still got to have a little blue LED light around the end of it that lights up the whole bedroom yeah. like it's daytime. These are the same. Like these cables don't light up, but yeah, they've got a they've got an LED on the on the um, cable there. And I guess it's, it's so if so you're bright. in the middle of the night and you want to plug it in, you're like, "Where's that damn cable? Oh, there it is." Plug I mean, it it's, in. yeah. Then that's exactly it's handy for that. It also saves you needing a nightlight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is, yeah. Well, actually, there's one there that's plugged in at the moment. You can see it's, you know. Yeah, it's quite bright, and no, that's not. That's just stuck to it because <laughs> it's they're actually a really Magnets. strong magnet. Yeah, like like rare earth magnet or something. They are. Whoops. <laughs> Don't ask. And then <laughs> and then when you're finished with charging your phone, you stick it on your back, and it cures your aching back. And well, you pull the whole cable assembly apart trying to. Uh oh, I'm just going to. And then break it. your webcam <laughs> and everything. Nothing. Uh-oh. That was awesome. How, what happened there? You broke your webcam. Is the audio the audio still working? Yeah. Ah, interesting. Do you want me to do a story you, while you're having fun filling you, around? You, you do that and I'll do me. <laughs> you do you. All right. <laughs> and it's worldwide. Oh, do the news. There's the bumper. 
At its Worldwide Developers Conference in on Monday, Apple introduced a litany of new security and privacy features that fit into what the company calls its four privacy principles. Today, Google is announcing its own privacy-focused improvements as well, which is highly unusual for Google, which is usually the opposite of privacy. Under what Google CEO Sundar Pichai says are three important principles of privacy. Google already announced security and privacy upgrades to Android 11 earlier this month, but Wednesday's changes focus on the data that Google services like Maps and YouTube can access and how long they can keep it for. We're guided by the principle that products should keep information for only for as long as it's useful to you, which I wrote in a blog post. Privacy is personal, which is why we're always looking to give you control on your terms. Google has been criticized for collecting and retaining data that users don't even realize it has. A year ago, the company added auto-delete controls that allow you to set your Google account to delete history, like web and app activity, and location every three months or 18 months. Such a mechanism was long overdue, but Google would still collect this data indefinitely by default. You had to find the right toggle in your settings to set the auto-delete in motion. Google's announcements on Wednesday flips this policy around. Newly formed Google accounts will auto-delete activity and location every 18 months by default. YouTube history will delete every 36 months. Existing accounts, though, will still need to proactively turn on the feature as Google doesn't want to force a change on users who, for whatever reason, want the company to keep all their crap, <coughs> want all the company to maintain a forever record of their activity. As soon as you do, the company will nuke your accumulated activity and location data that's 18 months or older and continue to do so going forward. Google will also push notifications and email reminders to get existing customers to review their data retention settings. And I've seen that come up when I go to the Google search page. It's like, mm. click here to, to manage your auto-delete and stuff. So they give you a bit of a prod. And I also saw another story today that um, you can watch YouTube videos in like a privacy tab and it won't add it to your YouTube history so that if you're busy watching usual tech shows like this one, and then the kids want to watch Mr. Squiggle, then you're going to get all these suggestions for all these kids shows yeah. and stuff all the time. So you can actually watch it in a uh, setting that doesn't keep that information, but you can still log into your account, but it won't keep it in the history and then recommend based on that. Well, it does the same thing. Like if you use the privacy browser and you log into YouTube, it does the same thing um, yeah. in Chrome anyway. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's... I don't know, look, everyone carries on about, oh, they're stealing my data. Well, technically, they're stealing their own data because you're using their service. Um, you know, like, that, that doesn't phase me. That I've got better things to do than worry about whether or not Google knows where I am. Yeah. You know, like, there's a million other ways you can be tracked. Speaking Google of, knows where you are. Facebook knows where you are. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah, your mother-in-law knows where you are. You know, like, it, it's, it's it's not a big deal, you know. Um the other thing I need to mention too, this whole thing I've seen on Facebook over the last couple of weeks about the government's forcing this COVID app on us and it's tracking us and... No, stop it. <laughs> it was... The the government app, COVID tracing app, has nothing to do with the Apple and Google versions of the app that they had already implemented before the government decided to do their own thing. So, there's potentially, you could ha if you've installed the government one, then it's going to do the bulk of the work. If you haven't, there is an Android one and there's an iPhone one sitting in the background, but you have to enable them. By default, they're not enabled. 
the disable the latest update of both the OS's. Um, if you haven't updated yet, yeah, you won't have it yet. But if you updated, you're going to have it. Um, but it was pushed via Play Store and um, and whatever Apple uses App Store, App Store thing. Uh, but they they're not by default turned on. You can turn them on, um, but you you don't need to. And then the government one's a separate one again, which hasn't forcibly installed itself. It's still sitting there waiting for you to stupidly click on the link and do it. It doesn't need to. I haven't installed it on my phone. It's not there at all. No. I mean, it was completely useless when it came out. They fixed a lot of stuff, apparently, but still doesn't work. Having to run it plus have your phone turned on plus don't let your phone turn off. Yeah, it's too crazy. It's on the the. It's not on mine, but Son's got the new Note Nine or whatever it is, Um, and it's on that when it updated. It was on that the the um, Android one. Um, Of course, turned it off. Not that it matters but yeah so no they're not the same thing no the government didn't forcibly install although they perfectly could and there's nothing you could do about it because remember you don't own the software you only own the hardware and the software would have been updated by even if it was by force it would have been via google or via android because that's how it would have worked (laughs) so i did install it it anyway I did install the original one that was just to notify you about COVID stuff. It wasn't the tracking one. Mm. And I tried that for a while and then I kept getting these reminders. Don't use this one. Use the new funky one that tracks all the things. And I was like, well, I'm going to delete you as well. And now I've got none. So yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, it's all, it's flaky at best anyway, given that it needs Bluetooth and all this other garbage to go with it. So, but I just want to throw that in there. It's yeah, it's not, (laughs) <laughs> it's not a conspiracy theory. It's okay. Yeah, Couple it's, of days. Uh, Beautiful. I, I was going to say it's not a conspiracy theory. Well, that's technically not true. It probably is, but <laughs> it's it's not a forced app installation. It's part of what was happening as of a few weeks ago, and it's just starting to roll out, and people are just starting to notice it. Yeah. So. Samsung Blu-ray players. You know, because everybody's got one best. of those now. Because you know. Yeah. Blu-ray is such a new and up-and-coming technology that everybody's rushed out and bought it. Um, they're rebooting in a loop, and nobody knows why. Oh. The issue started on Friday. Um, thousands of users across the internet are reporting severe issues with their Samsung um, Blu-ray players, home theater, and home cinema systems. All issues appear to have started at the same time on Friday, June 19th, when the first reports began popping up on Samsung's official support forms. Um, issues vary depending on the device model however the most encountered problem appears to be Samsung's Blu-ray players are entering a boot loop as soon as they're turned on other users report other problems such as device making weird noises constantly trying to read disk even the disk is empty uh, other cases devices shutting down seconds after being turned on and others are reporting that players are not responding to commands or button presses the root cause issue is currently unknown. They've reached out for comment to Samsung and Samsung has said nothing. Some users have speculated the issue could have been caused by a box firmware update. However, this doesn't seem to be true given that a lot of these aren't actually network connected devices. Um, so, yeah, so there's that. So, but yeah, that's boot loops. So, boot loop for the win. So, somehow they've. Uh, They've bricked all their devices, even though they aren't it's even... It's not internet connected. It'd have to be some bug in their 
software the firmware already on there that maybe it has uh, something happened on that particular day like well, a y2k kind of I thing mean, it's a, that was the, a bug the 20th of june 2020 maybe it's just it uh, doesn't like the processing the date i don't know it's just weird though that it's on if it was on one model of one device you'd go okay well, that's the problem yeah it's just a, yeah. just a bad badly developed firmware or something but when it's across so many different models you know it's a large that number makes of... me wonder to to save time and money maybe they did one firmware and just rolled it out to everything and then when the firmware starts up and that queries the chip and says what model are you so we know what features to enable mm. um a lot of the one of the scenarios has been put in places that it's caused by expired ssl certificates um that they like obviously a lot of data is more than just blu-rays now there's other data on the discs mm. so if it doesn't like the expired ssl or it thinks they're in a expired or something shoddy with them i don't know who knows but yeah it definitely seems to be um i mean that's it back and get a playstation you wouldn't think the, soon. you wouldn't think the firmware would be that similar because we're talking blu-ray versus like amplifiers versus you know like they're not really similar you'd think the firmware would be so far removed that that wouldn't be a common thing but yeah i don't know i'm not a software engineer no. or a hardware actually i'm not an engineer of any at all <laughs> so <laughs> i you know need to not. warm up your engineers yep what else Pretty you got sir we're spending more time at home these days more often than ever in front of the box watching one or more of various online streaming services there's so many choices available for Australians at the moment that it can be difficult to narrow down what you want to watch. Google have now introduced a new feature to Google search for Australians that will help you spend less time choosing and more time watching. To take advantage of the new search functionality, all Australians need to do is search for good shows to watch or what to watch. Doing this will give you suggestions of shows you may like that are available to rent, buy or stream from several different providers. At this stage, Disney+, Plus, Foxtel, Google Play, Stan, YouTube and more are available to Australians with more to be added in the future. You can narrow down or expand the list of providers that it gets recommendations from using the Edit Providers button and the terms you use to search for will also help narrow down the recommendations you receive with, for example, horror movies from the 80s or adventure documentaries about climbing, surfacing recommendations for these. There you go. You must be a test guinea pig group or something. Well, it ain't working for me, so there's that. No. <laughs> what do you get with what to watch? Um, I get like Time Out, I get Rotten Tomatoes, I get Common Sense Media. I get uh, Ghostbusters, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Red Dwarf, Men in Black. So I click on Men in Black. Yeah, but is that a Google link? And then uh, it's got down the right-hand side, watch now f on YouTube for $3.99. Yeah, see, I've got none of add, that. Add this to your watch list. Tap, click here if you've watched it. I get, I don't know if it'll show up. No, it doesn't, doesn't fit up on the screen. But I get um, best family movies as ranked by timeout.com. Ah. I get Rotten Tomatoes, Esquire, Common Sense Media, Pure Wow, Glamour, Netflix, Vulture, if I click on Red Dwarf, it's got Watch Now on Stan. Click here. No, I get none of that. So there you go. So it's obviously clearly a work in progress. 
Well, it's for the, you know, more important people get access first. That's like, probably true. You know, the more gullible people who listen to the media get access first. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny because the ones that I got given by timeout.com, The Lion King, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Goonies, Mary Poppins, Home Alone, Frozen and Finding Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> How did they know? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Watch it now on YouTube from three ninety nine. We watched that the other click... night. Oh, I click here for more info. Watch it on Google Play and Movies. Watch it on Foxtel if you've got a subscription. Edit providers. Let's see who else we got. Netflix, Foxtel, Stan, Disney Plus, Google Play Movies and TV, and YouTube. So you can add and remove whoever you don't have access to, and then when you hit play, it'll. Play it from your own subscription or login. No, I get none of that. That's interesting. Broken, but interesting. Yeah, have a VPN to the US or something. Not, uh, no, not on at the moment. No. Not away. Oh. Hmm. How weird. How bizarre. Do, do, do. How bizarre. How bizarre. Um, I shall take this time to mention our Patreon supporters. We thank and you very thing much. going across the top there. Yeah, it's, it's up there. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Ready? See? Perfect. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Sign it. up now. Um, so, yeah, it uh, makes a great difference to us and uh, our ability to, to bring shows to you guys in terms of hosting and paying for software and, and various other bits and pieces. Um, you know, don't, don't compel to. Absolutely no way it's going to change whether you do or don't, but we're certainly grateful for those who do. Um, there's multiple tiers, $4 tier being the base one, which is a show a week. Uh, that's about a dollar a week. You know, I think that's that's not bad value to watch a couple of guys make fools themselves for now. Um, we had a lot of practice. That's all right. <laughs> um, so I want to currently current oh, patrons. Oh. We're looking at Chris, uh, David Bird, uh, Daniel, and Amanda D, and a bouncing yellow skull. Thanks, um, everybody. So thanks for that. It makes a huge difference to us, and we really do appreciate it. Um, you know, it it um, gives us incentive to continue to do what we do. And it gives us incentive to try and tweak things and make us that little bit better. So we thank and you for And put it on our Facebook. Yeah, and actually, you know, put a bit of it, put, um, not so much put effort in, but it gives us, it gives us more incentive to actually, you know, do other things that we've been upgrading, updating behind the scenes, updating graphics and doing a few other bits and pieces and, you know, makes us push us that little bit more to make it happen. So, so thanks for that. Thanks a lot. It really helps. Oh, yeah, and uh, we've got Aussie Tech News on um, a Twitter account that tweets out news throughout the day, too, and uh, Glenn's newspaper mm-hmm. has a summary of good news stories found during the day as well, so they're always interesting to keep an eye out on. Subscribe to those on your Twitters. That's it, exactly. So, um Who's goes it? I can't remember who we're up to. I just did the uh, oh, okay. Google. See, I'm, I'm paying attention. Who said I'm not? Oh, speaking of, though, Bill and Ted, you're going to watch the new one coming out? Absolutely. Yeah. Certainly. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch. Did you watch the trailer? I'm going to watch, yeah, I've watched that. I'm going to watch the new Ghostbusters. Yep. And I'm going to watch the new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The Stranger Things Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the and the new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is coming out. No, I didn't see that. And um, the guy who plays Olaf, yeah, he's the son of Rick Moranis. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, how cool is that? <laughs> yep. So <laughs> that that's going to be pretty cool as well. 
Bill and Ted need to write a song so they go to the future to steal yeah. a song from themselves after they've written it. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been their their time's up and they haven't written the song and he comes back to Rufus. I think it's Rufus or one of the future guys comes back and yells Rufus at him. Rufus does make a comeback in it. They've got him in it. Oh, they it. have? Okay. Yeah, yeah. they're going to use old archived footage oh, okay. and bring him back into it. Poor George Carlin cucked it, but he was awesome, that guy. Mm. Look up some of his uh, stand-ups on YouTube. Well, yeah, listen. he does some pretty cool stuff. But, and he um, was in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back and Dogma. Yep. Oh, like Jay and Silent Bob. Apparently they're going to be doing a new one too, they reckon. Yeah, he's going to do um, More Rats too, I think. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. well, see, More Rats was such an underrated film. I really enjoyed More Rats. It was good, yep. Do you want a chocolate-covered pretzel? <laughs> uh, um, I'm to think what the other one I saw. I can't think what it was now. There's a... It's not Goonies, but it has like four of the Goonies cast in it. Oh, okay. There's a new movie coming out. That might be, that's might be what it's called. It's not Goonies. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. <I'm> trying to... <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was trying to think what it's called because it had... Um, yeah, like four of them in it or something. I was talking about it the other day on... Uh, uh, well, I, I've been watching... I can't think of this stupid show now. I've been watching, as I said, the guy who does The Voice of Olaf. He's been doing a podcast, uh, a reunion, um, once once every like two or three weeks. They've been getting cast of various movies together. Yeah. Uh, reunited together, I think it's called. I didn't know Josh Brolin was in Goonies. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, Josh Gad. That's his name. That's the guy who plays Olaf. Oh, okay. And they're like, they've done a few. They've done um, Back to the Future. Yep. They've done uh, Goonies. They've done Splash. They've done Ghostbusters. Um, and they've got one more book for next week, which I'm not sure what the... Oh, they've done Lord of the Rings. Um, you go the Goonies too. I don't think I'm going to call it that though. Maybe they are. That's what it's on the IMDb. It's got oh, Corey okay. Feldman, Robert Davy, and Cindy Lauper so far cast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe they. Yeah, well, I don't think they're going to call that officially. I think that's just a working title. Working title, yeah. Christopher Columbus is going to do it, write it. Hmm. So, but um, yeah, if if you like um those old movies, check out. You just type in um, "reunited apart" into goodies, into goodies, into YouTube, and you'll get all the the Goonies and all that. They're really good. They some of the cast you just haven't seen for years in anything at all, and they just appear. You know, he he's using Zoom um, yeah. to do all this stuff. It's 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 awesome. It's a whole lot of fun. So what was funny though when they did Ghostbusters, and this was where I found out about Honey I Shrunk the Kids, the yeah. remake, because. When they did the Ghostbusters one, they had most of the cast there, except, um, except, um, oh wow, just Rick Moranis. Yep. And everyone in the comments is like, why isn't Rick here? You're literally filming a movie with him at the moment. How hard was it to get him to come on? <laughs> uh, so that was funny. But, uh. Windows 7 and 8.1 users and Windows 10 users, I've noticed. Now Microsoft is pushing out new Edge browsers to you. So yeah, That is wonderful. I logged onto my computer and here's this oh. bloody icon on the desktop. I'm like, where did you come from? Don't put icons on my desktop. 
Not only that, it auto-loaded, auto-booted, then recommended me set it as a default browser. Yeah. Like, I haven't even started you the entire time I've had the computer. What makes you think I want you to be my default browser? Oh. Do, haven't they already got in trouble for this? Yeah. Weren't we discussing this the other week, how that they force people to install IE? Haven't learned a damn thing. <laughs> and now they're basically saying the same thing for Windows 8.1 and... And the unsupported Windows 7, which I find hilarious because Edge isn't even supported on Windows 7, but they're recommending people upgrade to Edge. It's like, well, hang on. (laughs) How does that work? It doesn't even work on this operating system. (laughs) So, yeah, so don't do that. Don't listen to what they're telling you to do. (laughs) Um, I mean, realistically, at the end of the day, it's just another browser, but it's just there. It's just because Microsoft owns it. Um, Don't do it. I mean, I've got it on here, obviously, because you can't not have it on your computer if you're running Windows because they forcibly install it. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't need to use it. Um, although I've noticed, again, it's taken over my default PDF launcher, uh, even though I've got Foxit. Foxit. I've got Foxit on here, and every week or so when Edge updates, it claims, takes back its, it forces back as a default. <laughs> So that's just bugging me. So yeah, I just thought I'd mention that because that's very annoying. So like seriously, if you want a way, if you want people to start using your software, don't force it on them. Yeah. Haven't you learnt anything? Convince me not to ever run it. Yeah, pretty much. It's just like that's the exact opposite of what I'm going to do now. I may it have still does the it. the job that uh, IE6 always did well was. You install a new computer, boot IE6, download Firefox. Yeah. Change it to the default and then use Firefox forever. Or Chrome or something. <laughs> something other than other than that, yeah. It's it's you know. Not Microsoft's Chrome. No, no. Microsoft's Chrome. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, no, it, it's I don't understand why I d I just don't understand it. Why? Why is that a thing you decided was a good idea? As they can. That's the whole egotistical side of it, I suppose, coming through again, you know, but... You'll learn to love it. Just use it. Go on. Yeah, try, hurt. try it enough and I promise you'll, you'll use it, yeah. That's it. After what? The first one is free. After that, you're going to have to pay. Yeah. It's, uh, it reminds me of... Um, I wonder if I can load this up without it exploding everything. Probably not because that's not the way the internet works, right? It's nice knowing you. I'll keep doing the show. <laughs> I was going to, I don't think this will show up. We already did that. No, it doesn't show up. There you go. That's kind of a, it's the Microsoft Edge. All right, let's see who, who you really are in the Explorer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yes. At the Worldwide Developers Conference 2020 keynote, Apple announced that the company is going to switch from Intel chips to Apple's own silicon based on ARM architecture. Jeez, Acorn did well, haven't they? Yeah. They, they brought out ARM and then suddenly it's in all the servers, it's in all the phones, now it's going to be in all the Apple desk, laptops and everything. They must be making a mozza. Bringing out their own Apple silicon based on the ARM architecture. They also announced that iPad and iPhone apps will be able to run natively on the ARM-powered Macs. First, you'll be able to compile your app to run on both Intel-based Macs and ARM-based Macs, same as what happened when they did the shift from the PowerPCs. You can ship those apps 
with both executables using a new format called Universal 2. If you've been using a Mac for a while, you know that Apple used the same process when they switched from PowerPCs, which is what I just said. <laughs> as for unoptimized software, you'll still be able to run those apps, but its performances won't be as good as what you get from native ARM-ready apps. Apple is already going to ship Rosetta 2, an emulation layer that lets you run old apps on the new Macs. When you installed an old app, your Mac will examine the app and try to optimize it for your ARM processor. This way, there'll be some level of optimization even before you open the app. But what if it's a web browser or complicated app with just-in-time code? Rosetta 2 can also translate instructions from x86 to ARM on the fly while you're running the app. And if you're a developer working on code that is going to run on servers, Apple is also working on a set of virtualization tools. You'll be able to run Linux and Docker on an ARM Mac. As a bonus, users will be able to access a much larger library of apps. Mac users can, for the first time, run iOS and iPad OS apps on the Mac, Tim Cook said. While the company didn't share a lot of details, Apple isn't talking about Catalyst, its own framework, which makes it easier to port iOS apps to Mac OS. You should be able to download and run apps, even if the developer never optimized those apps for Mac OS. How about that? So that's good because when we when I was reading this story last week, um, there wasn't any talk of having any sort of cross-platform. They were just talking about about it's just a hard cut. No, oh, the works on Buy this one or this again. one. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what the stories were saying last week that there wasn't yeah. any any crossover. So they've obviously changed their mind on that, which surprise, surprise. Um, Nobody would believe that had happened. Yeah, I know. What do you mean our customers are going to leave in droves? We didn't tell them <laughs> they could do that. So, yeah. Um, At least they're, they're going from this technology to that, and there's going to be a finite stop. Transition period, yeah. In the future where they're going to say no more of the old stuff will run on this, whereas Windows is still trying to run all the old legacy stuff. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. I, I guess they're doing that. I actually don't know why. I think they've done it because they've run they've they've run out of viable processes in the range that they're running. Um, I thought I was saying last week, like they they're using a an Intel architecture effectively um, yeah. that can be emulated and it can be back, you know, it can be reverse engineered and stuff like that. So if they go to this new architecture, they're the proprietary architecture, and they're the ones using it. Well, it makes it much harder to figure out. Hardware specifications and... Here's, here's my other question that's come up now in my head. At the moment, because it's all Intel, you can dual boot Windows and Mac, right? Yep. When Microsoft is making Windows for ARM... Yep. ...which runs on some Raspberry Pis and stuff, so that would be interesting if that will run on the new Macs and you could still dual boot Windows and where you go, you won't be able to run all of the apps because they'll all be Intel-based XE code in there, x86 which they would have to emulate the same as what Apple is doing. But at some stage, they could do fully ARM-based and then, well, Intel's going to have to start licensing ARM and making their own chips because nobody's going to use Intel anymore. Either that or they'll just do what most Mac users do and just run Windows under Mac OS anyway and yeah. just emulate the hardware. So, because most people realistically who own a Mac don't dual boot, even though you can, most of them don't. Most of them just run, like, is it Parallels? Virtualize it. So, yeah. Yeah. Most of them run Parallels and run Windows under Mac OS rather than the dual boot option. 
I think because it's And saves. then you'll be able to run your Linux apps natively on Under Windows, Windows. <laughs> in a virtual system on your Mac. Well, hang on. Doesn't Linux run natively under Mac OS? Well, the Mac OS is, is really Linux. Linux. Yeah. That's the matter. I think I, I think like Linux, if you wanted to run Linux natively under Mac OS, I believe you can do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's right. And well, you could actually <laughs> you could you could run Mac OS and then you could run Wine and then you could run, or run Linux and then you could run Wine under Linux. <laughs> Yo, dog! I heard you like an OS, so I put an OS in your OS so you can OS while you're OS. Uh, I mean, really, you're going back. You're going back to segregation. I mean, look, you're going back to the days where you had. Warp OS versus Windows versus Linux argument back in IBM days when IBM couldn't figure out if they wanted to use Sorex chips or Intel chips. And so you had Warp OS, which is optimized for their Sorex stuff, and then you had Windows, which is optimized for their Intel stuff. And then you had their laptops that had had a Intel processor in it, but they were giving you Warp OS anyway. And then you had desktops come out that had... had um, Sorex processors in it and they're giving you Windows and you're like, you, you don't even know what are, you, what are you doing? You don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you're giving me the wrong operating system for the wrong for the wrong hardware that you've just advised me is the you've just completely gone against what you just told me you're going to give me. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> just bring back, look, just, let's just go back 20 years. Everybody can have a Pentium 90. And you can have Windows 95, and that's it. You're not getting anything else. I want BIOS. <laughs> oh, I forgot about BIOS. BIOS. <laughs> BIOS was going to be the be-all and end-all. It was Remember actually that? really powerful for what it was. Remember that other Facebook competitor that was going to come out? It's going to be fully open open source and everything? Was it called Dystopia or something um, like that? Yeah, that's in like... I think that's still used in like Columbia and stuff like that. Like, it's still a thing. Kind of like that Google one that people used for a while and then dumped it. What was that? Not Hangout. Um, what was that called? I can't think of what that called. I can't remember now. <laughs> it, was, it, it was really popular in like Portugal and Brazil or yeah. something. Everybody went there. And I then popped on there for a while. Went away. It's like, that's nice. Yeah, that was... And nice. they got rid of that and then they got Plus and then they got rid of that. But see, then you had BIOS, which was like your full-on hardcore, like, one access to every piece of every nuance of hardware on your computer and then Super duper optimized. But if you wanted to like do graphics and stuff like that it was completely useless it was literally <laughs> just designed to strangle the life out of your system and perform massive calculations and and tasks but it, it had no graphical ability hardly then lg bought it and shelved it yeah well, i was gonna say what happened to it but there you go I haven't heard of that. They made, they made a WebOS thing and then HP used the WebOS. That's right. That was WebOS. That was for their Palm Pilot and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Didn't that go well? <laughs> well, Palm actually had a very long-standing relationship with um, emergency services. Yep. Um, I don't know about Fire, but I know Ambulance and Police used Palm Pilots and Palm OSs for many years, well past their expiration date. My, yep. my brother, who's an Ambo, and he's as late as... What, 2015? They were using Palm Pilot? Yeah. And they hadn't been I love around. I my hands, handspring visor prism. It was fantastic. You know, the, the Palm Pilot hadn't been around since mid, you know, 2005, something like that. But the emergency services were using it because it did exactly what they wanted to do. It was a far, relatively fast reference 
material, had all their data logging abilities, had everything they wanted to do, and they're like, well, why change? I'm like, why change? Because WebOS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why change. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. Where's your sad trombone now? <laughs> it got to the point where the computers were getting so far ahead of the technology that they could no longer back up the devices because they required a COM port. Oh, uh, yeah. And you can't, they wouldn't recognize U, uh, USB, so you had to have a USB to COM port adapter, which was okay for the text, but for the average Jambo to knock off after a 12-hour shift and have to go muck around with adapters and stuff. No, the novelty wore off after a while. <laughs> now it's probably all iPads. He's still got it floating around. That is all. It's all. It's all um, they use the iPad Minis predominantly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he's still got his Palm Pilot. It still works. He's still yeah. got all his data and information and everything on it. So it's. Um, I was at a. Uh, <laughs> Brad just said on on chat that he's pretty sure his local Japanese restaurant still uses palms for taking orders. <laughs> I was going to say, there's still a place for that because when I was working at um, Domino's, um, Domino's Pizza, we still had, it wasn't, it was something, it wasn't the Palm, it was, it was, was it the Dell or the Compact, no, the Compact, um, uh, I can't think what they're called now, they're equivalent of Palm, but they were Compact instead of HP. Yep. Uh, they're only a black Use and white Windows screen. Pocket PC. Yeah, no, they were using a, a homebrew, like, Domino's version Linux and it was the app taking thing and um, you would you take the order up at the counter and then you to show how old it is to, and this is only going back a few years you after you took the order and you processed it all and everything to print out the receipt in the kitchen printer you'd have to turn around and point the infrared sender at the printer <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe it was um, Symbian Symbian <laughs> Linux OS I, don't I know. had that on a phone I named oh, my yeah. cat Symbian after it. <laughs> well, Symbian, wasn't that what um, Nokia was using? I think they used it as well, yeah. Yeah. Talk about flashbacks. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Every week is old fight gigs, whether you like it or not. There's going to be some in there. <laughs> um, the Prime Minister says Australia is under cyber attack from state-based actors. Right on detail and refusing to attribute, Scott Morrison says state-based actors at eight state state-based state state attack state-based actors are attacking and targeting all levels of government as well as the private sector. Wow, that's not easy. Not not doesn't read well, nor like is a it. Rap song. <laughs> Called a press conference on Friday to raise awareness of the state-based cyber attacks Australia is currently facing across all levels of government as well as the private sector. Based on advice provided to me by our cyber experts, we've got cyber experts, Australian organisations are currently being trend, uh, targeted by a sophisticated state-based cyber actor, Morrison said. These act- actors, they're not real, <laughs> real attackers, they're just actors. Uh, this activity is targeting Australian organisations across a range of sectors, including all levels of governments, industry, political organisations, education, health, central prisons. <gasps> <sighs> Operators and other critical infrastructure. Punctuation is incri- is important, people. <laughs> well, Morrison, so, so it's attacking Australia's public and private sectors, including all these other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Are they not part of the public and private sector? <laughs> like, you know. But that reminds me on the um, uh, the new malware that's just been floating around recently called Lucifer. <gasps> 
The devilish malware that abuses critical vulnerabilities on Windows machines. Naughty Lucifer. A new variant of powerful crypto-jacking and DDoS-based malware is exploiting severe vulnerabilities in order to infect Windows machines. Dubbed Lucifer, the malware is part of an active campaign against Windows hosts and uses a variety of weaponized exploits in the last wave of attacks. Palo Alto Networks Unit 42 said on Wednesday, how like... (laughs) How many big words can you put into one sentence just to make it sound more impressive? A malware operator named their creation Satan DDoS. But as Satan ransomware already exists elsewhere, Palo Alto chose to assign a different alias. <laughs> Lucifer's supposed to be a good TV series, isn't it? Um, I have, I've watched a bit of it. It's actually quite... It's very clever. I'll give them that. It's, it's actually very well done. I haven't seen it. Seen Son it. watches the whole thing. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. But from what I've seen, it, it's... the long. Basically, he comes to Earth for a holiday because he's sick of hell. Oh. And whilst he's here, people can't actually die. Like, they right. die, but they don't. their soul doesn't go anywhere because he's not there to, to take him in. And the longer he's on Earth, the more human-like he becomes. He loses, starts losing some of his power. And it, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting, actually. It's, it's not bad. It um, but, yeah, so basically, um, it's a, de- it's a deserial... Really, I had to choose that word. It's a deserialization bug <laughs> in Lavelle framework. It can be abused to conduct remote code execution. Um, it appears it's only the vulnerability that many malware uses alongside a whole heap of other ones that use it. Um, the patches are available for weaponized security flaws, but on hosts that have not been updated, attacks using these issues are often trivial. Lucifer is considered to be powerful. Well, yeah. Oh, wait. Powerful hybrid malware capable of cryptojacking and harnessing infected machines to perform distributed denial-of-service attacks. So, basically, uh, it scans for open TCP port 135 and 1433, which is the MySQL port. So, basically, as long as your virus scanner is up to date, you're fine. But I mainly chose that story just because I love the the first two paragraphs. I just love the... The full-on, like, this, this, you could tell this guy really wanted to be covering an important story and he got stuck with this one. He's like, screw it. I'm going to use the biggest synonyms I could possibly find. Give me the thesaurus. And you just <laughs> wanted to say deserialization. No, not in the slightest. I did not want to say that at all. That's a horrible word. you nearly word. didn't. You nearly <laughs> I, didn't. I nearly didn't twice. <laughs> I suppose to a good segue from what you were just talking about is a new cybersecurity facility is set to open in Australia on July 1 with the aim of boosting the com- country's threat response capabilities. Established with an $8.9 million investment from South Australian government, the non-profit Australian Cyber Non-profit, yeah. That has got $9 million. Non-profit, my ass. <laughs> A3C is sited at the Lot 14 Innovation District in Adelaide. The plan is to develop the country's first cyber warfare workforce and build out the nation's security awareness and capability with a focus on management boards, small to medium-sized enterprises, and government. As detailed in the A3C prospectus, the centre will also host hardware and software testing facilities. A3C raises the awareness for businesses and acts as translator between business, government, research, training providers, and cyber specialists within the ecosystem. The capability will create a nation-leading cyber ecosystem in Australia 
that contributes to the economic growth through new skills, new enterprises, new customers, new investment. A key element of A3C, says Personi, will be the Cyber Launchpad, which will consist of a Cyber Academy and a Cyber Test Range and the Cyber everything. Cyber everything's called Cyber. Yeah, just cyber at all. Like, all the cyber. Like a popular 90s term that everything <laughs> was cyber this and cyber that. Yeah, it's... it just came just after like um, VR, virtual reality, and then became uh, cyber reality. And... The Not... cyber test range will offer hardware and software testing in a secure environment with a mix of internet facing and isolated networks on which Australian cyber startups can showcase their tools. You're an internet face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It will provide access to equipment, tools, operators that many companies are not able to create within their businesses. There's also a capability for SMEs, researchers, and government to collaborate, allowing cybersecurity devices, software, and techniques to be introduced into the environment for certification or stance-based testing, helping them get their product into global markets. Not to be outdone, Queensland government commits $3.3 million to a new Toowoomba ag tech hub. It will serve as a space to build and test technologies such as drones and smartbots. You're going to have cows. Hovering cows. What cows. Possi- what cyber cows. It's going to be cyber, right? You forgot cyber somewhere. The Queensland government has announced it will invest $3.3 million to establish an ag tech and a logistics hub in Toowoomba. According to the Minister for Innovation, Kate Jones, we have a Minister of Innovation, the hub will serve as space to build and test technologies such as drones and smart bots. You know drones have already been invented, right? As well as for conducting industry workshops and forms to improve farming practices and supply chains. With some of the world's leading experts in agriculture and ag technology, this hub will be a world-class centre to train workers and develop cutting-edge technology and products like drones. As part of the creating the facility, the state government is now on the hunt for operators to establish and run the facility. Yeah, well, you probably should have thought of that first. People interested in establishing the hub and managing its operations for up to three years have an opportunity to tender with the contracts expected to be announced August 2020, Jones said. Submissions for the tender closed July 13th. Um... So, yeah, so they're, they're inserting drones into cows. Yeah. Mm. Hover cows. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? I like to go hover cow race. You sit <laughs> on the back of the cow and hover, <laughs> race around the track. That's just fresh milk delivery. Just watch out for a pat on the head. <laughs> yeah, dear. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Like, it's everybody's suddenly yeah. throwing heaps of money at tech because, you know, why not? They've got plenty of it. The company's not dying. Yeah. Country's not dying. It's fine. Making all the um, the science and technology and mathematics education cheaper in universities and putting the price up on arts and stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we, just quickly, just an update. Got time for a couple of stories? Yeah, quickies. Always time for a quickie. Just remember that. <laughs> uh, Microsoft has admitted that this month's Windows... I just love it. Microsoft has admitted... That this month's Windows 10 Patch Tuesday updates are causing more problems. This time resulting in crashes due to failure in local security authority subsystem. It's confirmed the new bug uh, in t- for Windows 10 version 1809. Blah, 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 blah. Microsoft also notes the June 16th out of band update, which fixed printers, stopped working after installing the Patch Tuesday, is affected by this. Local security authority subsystem service, or LSA, LSRs, um, might fall. It is LSR.exe might fall on its <laughs> proverbial. My <laughs> fail on some devices with the error message: a critical error, a critical, a critical system process failed with status code 
C zero 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 eight. The machine must now be restarted. That sounds exactly like a typical Microsoft error message to me. <laughs> this computer it broke. Nothing to nobody. <laughs> this computer broke. Let me restart it. That'll fix it. <laughs> Microsoft says it's working on a fix. It'll be delivered in a future update. Well, it won't be if your computer's crashing, <laughs> will it? No. So basically, the moral of the story is don't update your computer. Yep. <laughs> Mine it... seems to have survived. I got an update yesterday. I don't know if it's this one, but I'm going okay so far. Fingers well, crossed, touch wood. You know how I've been having trouble with my computer the last couple of weeks? Yep. Doing just random locking up and crashing and all sorts of stuff? It was the graph... It, uh, the... Um, I actually had two problems. I had a corrupt graphics driver... And a corrupt network card driver. Oh. And both of them were caused by the Windows update. Overwrote your good one. Yeah. They overwrote the manufacturer's drivers with their Windows generic drivers, thinking that they know better. <laughs> they and, never do. But when you look in the system, when I looked in my systems manager, it said using such and such driver. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the one from the provider. But no, they were just using the signature of the last version bought out by the manufacturer. <laughs> so it looked like the manufacturer's default drivers, but it wasn't. It was Windows emulating them. So you download the new ones and where it goes. Needless to say, I downloaded the new drivers and I haven't had a problem since. We'll see if you can do some fishing later. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, because... Um, I don't. I don't know why. Why? Why Microsoft? You go real, like they've been like twelve months and they've done really well, and the last like three months, everything they've done, they've screwed up. Like why? Overwrite they... your network driver. Overwrite your graphics driver. <laughs> stick Edge on there whether you want it or not. <laughs> and apparently, it affects. Um, uh, apparently, there's a big issue that it's not in this story here, but apparently, it just says that there's been severe Windows Server implications. Oh. So it doesn't actually go into detail here what it is, but so that that's exactly what you want. You want an unstable server. That that's that's perfect. That could be expensive. Yeah. Well, no wonder the Queensland government's just decided to take out more Azure um, <laughs> <laughs> partnerships. Yeah. I can't say I blame them honestly. Like, no. you know, <laughs> Australian government to move to Azure-based records management. I mean, okay. As part of the public service-wide program to modernise digital records management, Australian government titles will soon see records held in the cloud thanks to the initiative led by the Digital Transformation Agency to modernise digital records management in the public sector. Now, love it or hate it, it's all going to happen that way. It's all going to go online. And as much as whether you, what you think of Amazon, the fact of the matter is they are quite literally the only company. You've got Microsoft Azure or Amazon Prime or whatever the Amazon one is. So, like they are the only, they they they're going currently going to Azure, but that hasn't been locked in yet. Right. And with all the well, issues it's, that it's Microsoft, it's quite obvious they're not able to manage their own servers themselves. No. Are they? Well, I'm wondering if that's part of Microsoft's plan. See, if they make all their servers unstable, then they can just sell their hardware servers online. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> These ones don't go down. Give us money. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um. <laughs> So, you know, but it, it's going to happen. There's only really two, there's Amazon, and really, it's relatively, relatively unusual for them to use Azure. They generally go to Amazon, which yeah. is strange because we had a story two weeks ago about how they're moving so much of their data to like, all the Centrelink stuff, all the public record stuff is all being moved to Amazon. 
So it's really weird that they would move. Hedge your bets. Put some over there, some over there. Whichever one keeps up, we'll move it all there. Pretty much. That's what it seems like because they're moving all these all these digitized records. They're moving to the Azure servers, but all the lot. Well, that's the difference. See, these are all going to be in storage, whereas the stuff on the Amazon servers is live databasing. Yep. So maybe that's where the difference is. Maybe they're using Azure for storage and Amazon for live real time. I guess so. <laughs> wow. That doesn't seem like a waste of money at all. No. <laughs> Mind you, it works so well when they spent however many millions of dollars with IBM and then IBM said, there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. It was DDoS. It was DDoS. It wasn't everybody <laughs> trying to do the same thing at the same time yeah. that we didn't prepare for. It wasn't our lack of lack of preparation at all. It had nothing to do with uh, us. Those bloody <laughs> DDoSes. That's those. Um, it's the Russians overseas actors, right? Yes, yeah, the overseas Russian actors. Actor, yeah. <laughs> um, actor comrade in film. <laughs> now for a very sad story. Are you ready? Have you got your hankies and tissues ready? Always. Three years ago, long after the rise and fall of Flash, Adobe announced that its one ubiquitous multimedia platform is finally going away. Mm -hmm. But Adobe never provided a specific date for when Flash would reach its end of life. Now we know Adobe Flash is going to officially die on December 31, 2020. While the younger folks should be, could be forgiven for not knowing about Flash during the <laughs> late 90s and into the 2000s, Huge swaths of the internet relied on Flash to add interactivity to websites in the form of animations, games, and even videos. While Flash just won't vanish into thin air on December 31, Adobe said it will stop distributing and updating Flash. Critically, it also means Flash won't be getting any further security or privacy patches. For a software platform that lasted more than They've two decades them. and played a huge part in the dot-com bubble of the late 90s and early 2000s, Flash lasted a lot longer than most people probably ever expected. So Paul went out for the software that brought us the wonderful time wasters like You're the Man Now Dog and Homestar Runner. It's been real, but it's time to go. Oh, dear. So long and thanks for all the fish. Pretty much. So long and thanks for all the flash. <laughs> Where's your sound effects machine, man? Uh, I know, right? But yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily, I mean, unpredict. you know, it's Flash has been dead for, you know, quite a, well, most browsers don't support it anymore, do they? Not by default. Same with Java. Nobody wants you to install Java on your computer or browse by default. No. You have to force them to. Yeah. So it's not really surprising, having said that, that that's a thing, you know. So, yep. I don't know. With HTML5, you didn't need Flash for anymore. No, with that and the CSS and all the other stuff to go with it, like it, it, all, it does effectively what Flash used to do. It yep. does all your layouts and your forming. And another problem Natively is and faster. if you do use Flash, you screw yourself over with a website anyway because it's not bot searchable. So, you don't get, you don't get any of the, the traffic. You know. you know how many people I had to keep on telling this stuff? They're like, I need to do the Flash thing. I'm like, Google can't index the no. Flash thing, so don't do the Flash thing. No, but everyone's doing the Flash thing. But, you got flashy things yeah. all over the screen and things going everywhere. And No, I don't want to see that when I go to a no. website. I really, really don't. No. I know you can put the menu up the top, but when you hover the mouse over it, it gets bigger. Yes. It's, it's not that exciting. But remember when it was Shockwave Flash? 
back in the day when it all started off. That, that, that shockwave flash displayed yeah, here. Like, yeah, amazing. <laughs> back when you had shockwave editor and oh, there was an editor package that did like shockwave and like animated GIFs all in one. It was like the best thing ever. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, just a couple of quickies. Um, NASA names its DC headquarters after its first black female engineer. There you go. Now, who was NASA's black first black female engineer? Mary W. Jackson. There's yeah. a movie on it. There's a documentary on it, several books on it. It's actually a really, really interesting um Story, it's really good. Basically, NASA's Washington, D.C. headquarters will be known as the Mary W. Jackson NASA headquarters, named after the agency's first black female engineer. Um, Jackson was the woman who inspired the book and the movie Hidden Figures about the black woman who helped NASA launch the first American into orbit. Fittingly, Mary W. Jackson NASA's headquarters is located in a hidden figures way. Uh, she's part of a group of very important women who helped NASA succeed in getting America astronauts into space. She never accepted the status quo. She helped break barriers and open opportunities for African Americans and women in the field of engineering and technology. Uh, she was born in Hampton, Virginia, earned a dual degree in maths and physical sciences from Hampton Institute in 42. Now, can you imagine a black female in 1942 going to a university and earning two degrees? Be unheard of. It, it, it really was. It was unheard of. She worked as a math teacher, bookkeeper, U.S. Army secretary before joining the segregated West Area Computing Unit of the Legendary Research Center. In '51, she was recruited by the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, which later succeeded to NASA. Um, she worked as a human computer for two years after she conducted experiments in 60,000 horsepower supersonic pressure tunnel. Um, she complete, did the training um, because the classes were held in, in the then segregated Hampton High School, she needed special permission to attend. She had completed the training in 58. She became NASA's first black female engineer. She authored and co-authored numerous reports and joined Langley's Federal Women's Program, where she worked to address hiring and advancement of the next generation of female mathematicians. But her story is amazing. Basically, the NASA missions wouldn't have landed on the moon without her. They wouldn't have even got through the atmosphere without exploding. She caught critical bug in the launch procedure just before launch. Um, she manually was reading the ticker tape with the punch card system that they used to use to program the systems. She was manually actually reading, eyeballing them and reading them and she discovered a fault in one of them. Um, she was part of the team that helped with problem solving when they had issues in space. She, she was one they called on to help actually sort the problem out. It's a really... Really amazing and inspiring. I mean, as I said, there's a film called Hidden Figures, but there's a lot more to it than that as well. Um, she's an amazing person and what she achieved and what she did. And and um, without her, honestly, the first 30 years of NASA wouldn't have happened. <laughs> she's that critical to, to, to that happening. Well, um, check out the movies. Yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. Also, quickly, I want to show you Everyone goes, oh, why don't you buy an EV for this, that, and the other? Look, I love EVs. They're great. But this is a quick representation of why in Australia they're still not as practical as we'd like them to be. So here's Electrify America. This is their ultra-fast charge network only. So this is only the superchargers. There are two distinct routes across the state, Midland and South, and go across the United States, plus there's all these other ways you can go. Now, keeping in mind that there's, there's charge stations normal charge stations as well this is just the fast charge network 
So you can drive from one end of America to the other on just fast charge networks, no trouble at all. Yep. Um, they're about 70 miles apart, so even the cheapest of EVs can travel. All right. This is Australia's fast charge network. Okay, yep. And even in areas where they are, it's been hard to see, but even like... Nothing to, in actual Brisbane. There's, no, there's one, I think, in Brisbane. There is one in Brisbane that's just been commissioned, so it's probably not on uh, here. But like, so you've got Brisbane to Byron Bay, which is a fair hike. Then you've got Port Macquarie, Foster, Newcastle. What's Newcastle to Sydney? That's got to be what? A couple hundred Ks? Yeah. <laughs> so then you've got a couple there, a couple down here, a couple spread over here, a couple floating over here. You know, the close, there's probably the two closest ones, and they're probably, well, there's 20, so they're, they're 100 k's apart. Yeah. <laughs> so this and is why. Down the one coast. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. There's nothing at all over here. Um, there are, now this, once again, this is the fast charge network. So there are other, um, there are other net, other charges you can use, but these are specifically yep. the fast charge ones, which means you've only got to pull up. You know, theoretically, for you to, especially if you look at the American ones, you've only got to pull up for twenty minutes to go from one to the next one. Like you're not stopping for long, yeah. um, unless you have a Tesla, you would not really get to most of these fast charge points in one charge. Most of the cheaper EVs, you're not going to be able to do that sort of distance. And even with a Tesla, a couple of people have driven around Australia, but the timing is just insane because there's just no fast charge network. So. Um, so yeah, so basically it's, you know, I love EVs, but, uh, there's currently an issue, there's currently there's an a, issue with I EVs. I just sent you a map for the other non-charge, non-fast charge Non-fast charge, yeah. There's, um, there is those. They got level one, level two, and level three charges. Level one existing PowerPoint using combination with specialized cable for domestic homes. Level two dedicated AC EV charger up to seven kilowatts. Level three dedicated DC EV charger at power levels from 25 to 350 kilowatts, 400 yep. to 500 amp three phase. Yeah, so that's what we were looking at there. We were looking at the at the level threes. Yep. Um, as I said, there is. There, there is level ones and level twos, but they're not, you know, a level two takes about four times as long as a level three and a level one takes about five times as long as a level two, you know, so. Level that, two adds up to 40 kilometers of range per hour plugged in. That's right. And, and this is the problem, like the, you know, whereas on a level three, you can get a hundred and you can get a hundred Ks in 15 minutes if you get a good connection on a Tesla. Yep. But here's the other thing too. You've got multiple infrastructures. You've got Jet Charge. You've got ChargePoint. You've got Tritium. You've got um, EVSC. You've got the Tesla Charge Network. You've got the NRMA. Network. You've got all these diversified networks. Instead of these companies getting together and going, hey, let's put a spot here. They're going, oh, I'm going to have one over here. Oh, if you're going to have one there, I'm going to have one over here. And then sometimes you'll end up with five of them next to each other. <laughs> and you're like, no, that, just stop it. <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> uh, so, at the moment, 
yeah, it's still not practical to have... I mean, if you're going to have an AV, it has to be something like a Tesla. It's one of the few vehicles that will travel the distance required to get between charge points. Yep. There's a couple others, but everyone recognizes the Tesla. There is a BMW and there's a, a Hyundai and there's a couple others that will do it, but predominantly the Tesla. Um, but having said that, given that I think it was only five or six years ago, we didn't have an infrastructure at all, you know, it hasn't come somewhere. Bad, so, <laughs> it's an improvement. Time will, time will fix that up. Yep. So, yeah. So thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Also now at patreon.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Sign up for $4 per month, $10 per month, all from several other tiers. See the site for details. Email us, glennwillwarlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, Warlock is mine, your... Twitter, Mr. Tompkinson, Mr. Tompkinson, and uh, Aussie Tech Heads, of course. Glenn's got his own one. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on AussieTechRadio.com, twenty-four-seven back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows are added each Friday. We'll see you next time. Thanks Bye. for watching, guys. See ya.